I want us to read from Romans chapter 12 this morning, and we're going to read verses 9 uh, through 16. Would you stand for reading from God's Word? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. You may be seated. I love the story of a reporter for the Toronto Sun-Times. Her name was Catherine Porter. Every day she would wake up and read the obituaries of the paper looking for a story. On Valentine's Day in the year 2013, she read through 56 obituaries in the paper. Number 19, though, struck her. There was a lady who had passed away. Her name was Sheila, uh, Shayla, excuse me, Gordon. She was only 55 years old. What was interesting about the obit is that she had no relatives, she had no children, she had never been married. Her life had been rather difficult. She had grown up with a hearing impairment. She had struggled through school. She'd never received a college degree. And it seemed to be a rather unremarkable life until Miss Porter got to the bottom of the obituary that says, Our world is a smaller place without Sheila. And she was fascinated by this seemingly unremarkable life that it had such an impact. So she went to the funeral. As a reporter, she decided to do a story. And she, she put her cell number on every chair at the funeral and asked people to call and explain to her why Sheila and her loss had made their world a smaller place. After the funeral, she received 130 phone calls. And she found out that Sheila, despite not being a name in the headlines, despite not living what we would call an extraordinary life, she was kind. When someone needed a meal, she delivered the meal. She was a keeper of secrets. You could tell her anything and she would keep it. And if you needed something done, whether it was a wedding reception given or whether it was someone who needed a visit in the hospital, she would drop everything she had and she would go for it. And a community in Toronto of many different people had been built around this simple woman who knew how to serve. Porter said, it changed her view of greatness and achievement. She used to think to be great meant you would change the world. She now believed greatness was to change the people in your world. That's what Shayla Gordon had done. Now, we know people like that. Just a few days ago in our own church family, we honored a brother, a behind-the-scenes brother named Bernard Merritt who passed away just about a month ago. Many of you remember Bernard. Bernard was quiet. He never got up on this stage. 
He would never let the elders appoint him a deacon, despite the fact he was the hardest worker in this church. He was always behind the scenes, working. He's a founding member of this church 43 years ago. And men, if you ever served the Lord's Supper, you'd meet with Bernard, and he'd show you his trusty map of where you were to go here in this worship center. He was one of the first people to ride one of the inner city buses. And on the first night, someone threw a boat in one of those neighborhoods that went through the window and hit Bernard, but it didn't slow him down. He was a grass cutter that showed up most Saturdays to cut grass. One brother even tells that Bernard was visiting his family in Oklahoma and was afraid someone wasn't going to show up to cut grass on Saturday morning. So he called back to Montgomery on Thursday saying he would change his plans if no one else was going to show up. He was a gentle man. He always wore those old name tags we used to wear on his tie. And every Sunday he'd come by the door with a kind word. I I love Bernard Merritt. 80-something years old, he would show up at men's retreat and he didn't go home to a comfortable place to sleep. He would sleep in one of those bunks. He was quiet, behind the scenes. Even his family, they say he was the same way. And if you knew Margaret, you understood why. Because Margaret was always talking and Bernard was always listening. I love the story they told of Margaret one day being so frustrated when the children were young that she called Bernard and said, today you're going to discipline the kids. She had always been the disciplinarian. And when, when, when you get home, I've turned the kids over to you and you better spank them. And so Bernard came home. She had warned the kids, dad's going to do it today. He took them right back to the, the bedroom. He took his belt off his britches. He started beating the bed and he told the kids to scream. And so he's beating the bed as hard as he can, and the kids are screaming crazy. And Margaret is thinking, what have I created? And she walks in the room, and they all die laughing. That was our brother Bernard. There's never been a greater servant. And for 43 years, he helped this church from its inception to build a community. I remember him coming to one of Tim Lee's concerts, Big Daddy Weave. Even I didn't like that concert. Bernard showed up. It was way too loud. He left. But two hours later, he came back with his trusty belt on to pick up chairs. It's around those kind of people that you can build a community. And that's what Paul is talking to us about in Romans chapter 12. That in our life together, we seek to build a community unlike anything anyone could find anywhere else. Here's our goal. If you're taking notes, write this down. Our goal is the creation of the beloved community. If you're a historian, you probably recognize those words, the beloved community. Those words were used by Martin Luther King quite often. In one of his speeches, he talks about the role of the church in facing the nation's chief moral dilemma. This is from 1957. Here's what he said. The end goal is reconciliation. The end goal is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can can transform opponents into friends. It is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. Is the love of God working in the lives of men? This is the love that may well be the salvation of our civilization. 
And I'm telling you, years later, it still could be the salvation of our civilization. Jesus put it this way. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. What's Jesus say? The power to change our culture is in creating communities where people are loved to such a degree that they are drawn. The early Christians experienced this. Frankly, they had no word to describe it. It was so amazing. There wasn't a word being used in their language that adequately described what they did. This is fascinating. So they dusted off an old Greek word that hadn't been used in generations and employed it for Christians. You may have heard of this Greek word, koinonia. It's the word translated in your Bible for sharing, for communion, for participation, for fellowship. And they knew they had something so special, it needed a brand new word. My friends, I am so convinced today that people in our culture are lacking community. Gallup says Americans are the most lonely people on the globe. I've been reading a book lately called The Wisdom of Stability. And, and, and the writer writes this, Our hunger for community may be the clearest contemporary expression of the heart's desire for home. Despite cell phones and social networks that create the possibility for almost constant contact with people we love, most of us feel alienated from our neighbors and unsure of where we belong. So as we look back at that passage in Romans chapter 12, we're going to answer three questions this morning. What can I do to change this? What must we do together? And finally, most importantly, what will God do? First of all, what can I do? Let's just go verse by verse through what we studied in Romans chapter 12. First of all, we must be sincere. The, the word there for sincere is an interesting word. In the Greek language, it literally means no wax. You see, there was a problem that day is that people would take broken pieces of pottery and they would put wax in the broken pieces and paint over it and then sell them. And then when a, a wife or a, a man would warm it up, the wax would melt and the pot would leak. What it would mean is it was true. It was sincere. What you saw was what you got. My friends, we need to be sincere if we're going to create this kind of community. People smell and pick up on fakeness in a moment. I heard the most horrifying story this week of an African-American man who lived in a predominantly white neighborhood who decided to visit a predominantly white church. And he went and he loved it. And he became a member. And then the next week he was out on his lawn cutting his grass and trimming his hedges. And some kids, white kids, came walking down the road and began to make fun of him and ask him if he would come and be their yard man. And then he went back to church the next Sunday and he saw those very teenagers and he quit the church. Why people want people who live out what they say they're going to live out. That there's not a difference in what they do in their neighborhood and what they do in their church. Next, we need to be considerate. He said we are to honor one another above ourselves. Literally, the word here means 
We must try to outdo one another in honoring one another. Wouldn't that be cool to be a part of a church where we tried to outdo each other in encouragement and honor? Where I made it not about me, but about you. Got too many of us, and we're always disappointed, is we make the church about us and who spoke to us and who did this. My friends, if we make it about someone else, you'll always leave fulfilled. I'm reminded of a few years ago, NBA Hall of Fame. They are honoring and inducting the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan. I'm not trying to be critical here, but Michael Jordan got up and he spoke about all of his accomplishments and what he had done, and the total focus was on Michael Jordan. And then, right after Michael Jordan, they honored and inducted David Robinson. I don't know if you remember David Robinson. He played for the San Antonio Spurs, played on quite a few NBA championship teams. David Robinson is a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. And there couldn't have been a greater contrast. Because when Robinson spoke, he talked about his family, he talked about his coaches, he talked about his teammates, and how every one of them had contributed to who he was. That's what Paul's saying. We're the community that doesn't talk about ourselves. We're the community that puts the focus on other people, and we honor them for what they do. Next, he says, we're to be energetic. I love this commandment. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. My friends, there is a power in passion. There's a power in enthusiasm. And let me say this. If you're not fired up about the Lord, if you're not passionate about his church, don't expect it to draw people. But when we become those people that are fervent about the Lord, who no matter how old we grow in years, our fervor grows with our years. One of the saddest things in the church is we always talk about young Christians as being the most fired up people when the truth ought to be is the more we've experienced the Lord and walked with the Lord, we ought to be the most fervent people here. And let me tell you, people are looking for that. Does it not baffle you Kids growing up in America are drawn to be a part of the Islamic State ISIL. It's crazy. How could someone grow up in this country and then want to go shoot people at a recruitment station? I mean, you know, we understand it maybe in the Middle East where they're taught that, but, but they get a video online and they get drawn into it. Let me tell you what I believe is going on there is... is it's our young people are, are yearning for something to give their life to. They're not okay with just being nice, middle-class Americans. They want something to dedicate their life to, to devote their life to, to live for. And they're searching for it. And my friends, if we're not the place, and if you're not the person on fire for God, don't expect to keep your children and your grandchildren. Because they want to give themselves to something worth giving yourself to. So we're to be energetic. Verse 12, we're to be passionate. We're to be present, excuse me. Let me say that right. Still on passion. We, we are to be there in joy and affliction. And through it all, we are faithful in prayer. You know, today with so many diversions, it is so hard for us often just to be present with the people around us. 
And then I love verse 13. We are to be warm. We're to share with people in need. And we're to practice hospitality. Listen to me. If you want to be a great part of this church, you be a warm person. You be someone that opens your home to people. I, I always think of what I heard Linda Turode say years ago. There's something powerful that happens when someone puts their feet under your table. Can I ask you this morning, when's the last time you had someone in your home? In the name of God. There's a warmth to there. There's a power for that. That's what makes this life group ministry so powerful is that we get out of a formal building and we get in a home where there's warmth and there's love and there's fellowship. And then we are to be forgiving, verse 14. Oh, how challenging. We even bless people who persecute us. We found out last week, didn't we, brothers and sisters, what a big issue this is. I've been praying all week for all of you who stood and many of you who sat on this front row who said, you know, I struggle with forgiveness. It's a difficult, difficult issue. But that's what makes us so different is that we live in a fellowship of forgiveness in a world where you keep score of what people have done and not done for you. Some of Abraham Lincoln's advisors got sort of frustrated with him. I don't know if you've ever read the book Team of Rivals, which is an incredible book. And it's about how Abraham Lincoln, after he was elected president, selected for his cabinet members the very people who had run against him. Men who had actually said in the campaign that Abraham Lincoln was a baboon. And he put him in his cabinet. And finally, one of his friends said, why do you try to make your enemies your friends. And Abraham Lincoln answered this way, am I not destroying my enemies when I make friends with them? He's destroying his enemies by making friends. And my friends, we're the, we're the fellowship where we can forgive. Oh, it's easier to walk away. It's easier to stay bitter. But it's so Christ-like for those of us who've been so forgiven by God to be able to forgive one another. That's how long-term relationships happen. And then verse 15 says we need to be empathetic. We need to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. I love that verse. If you were to ask me today, buddy, what would a great church look like? I would tell you this verse. A great church is a church where something goes bad and we all weep together. Something goes good and we all rejoice together. I, I tell you, I think a great church is a church that laughs together and cries together. I like what Robert Schuler said about this. Love is my decision to make your problem my problem. If you've got a problem, it's my problem. And I feel it. But maybe Paul would add... If you've got a victory, I've got a victory. And I feel it. We have that empathy for one another. And then one more verse. Verse 16, he says, we need to be inclusive. We're a community of people that are different. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Today in America, there are a lot of churches that are being built on the premise that we can grow a church 
if we advertise and promote it to people that are alike. If we're in an upper middle class neighborhood, we need to be an upper middle class church. If we're a lower class neighborhood, we need to be in a lower class kind of church. That is so unbiblical. God's dream was that in his church there would be a love so powerful, so inclusive, that we'd all be united. That's what shocked people in the first century. He had a church where the rich and poor met together. A church where the master and slave would sit beside each other and worship God. It changed the world. And today, I'm going to tell you, if you're looking for a church that wants everybody to look alike, you've come to the wrong church. And if you're looking for a small group where you can just be with people that are like you, I'm going to tell you today, you're looking for the wrong small group. We need to be the people that are inclusive of the people around us. So that's what you can do. Now, here's what I love about the list I've just given you. There's nothing on that list that any of us can't do. You don't have to be a superstar in headlines to build community. You just got to be a loving servant who cares about people. So what will we do? Well, that brings us back to our, our key verse this morning. And that's we are to be devoted to one another now, again, this is another very interesting Greek word. In fact, this word here is the only time this Greek word is found in the New Testament. And it's actually putting together two different Greek words. And that's why when you read your Bible, it's almost 50-50 in translations. Some translations will translate it like the NIV has today. We're to be devoted to one another. Other translations will translate it about affection. Uh, you know, King James, be tenderly affectioned to one another, all right? So you've got a contrast of meaning here. You've got devoted and you've got tender affections. That's because you've got two Greek words put together. And one is the word for family love, loyalty. You're born into family. You don't have a lot of choice about that. You are to love one another. You stick with each other through thick and thin because of your blood relatives. And you're loyal. The other part of the word is a friendship kind of love. It's a love of choice. It's a love of deep emotions. So, so Paul is saying here, we are to be devoted and we're to be affectionate. Let me, let me define this again. Another way we might put it is we are to be, uh, screens catch up with me just a little bit. We are to be committed and we are to care. Okay, that's, that's the two words coming together here. We, we are committed to each other, and in this commitment, there's incredible care. Listen to me. You do not want one without the other. You don't want to be a part of a church where there's just a, a cold commitment that says, okay, here's the boxes we got to check off, here's the events we got to attend, and we're going to do it, and we're just going to go through the motions. On the other hand, you don't want to be a part of a church where we really care for each other, but there's no sense of commitment. And we never show up, and we never fellowship, and we never really spend time together. It just won't work. Let me, let me translate it one more way. The word devoted, here's the most practical translation of the word devoted. To give your time. Give your time. And, and the other part of this is to give your heart. We give our time, we give our heart. 
Because this is the foundation of everything we're talking about this morning, that we give our time and that we give our heart. You know, sometimes you'll hear people in families argue about, uh, is it quantity time that our children need or is it quality time? Every major study has said there's no difference. You cannot have quality time without quantity time. I can't say to my child, I'm going to give you 30 minutes a week that's really going to be intense and great. And that's going to be good enough. No. You need both. You need both. And in our church family, my friends, we've got to give our time and we've got to give our heart. And this is that sense of community that everybody's looking for. And yet for some reason, Satan's made us afraid of it. Because if we're going to be this community we're talking about this morning, there's got to be commitment and care. There's got to be devotion and affection. There's got to be a giving of time and a giving of our heart. And that's why we're making such a big deal about re-kicking off small groups. Because that's the place where it happens. I hear over and over people say, I just don't feel apart. I, I love Landmark and I love, but I don't feel connected. And someone gave me a list of people the other day, say, you know, these are some of my friends and they, they don't feel connected. And let me tell you, we'll do everything we can to try to connect them. But normally when I look at that list, those people don't come to any special events. They're not going to show up at the prayer meeting next week. They're not going to, they're not going to join a small group. Listen to me. If you're not willing to give your time to people and build relationships, don't expect to come out with knowing people's hearts. It's just impossible. So our challenge today is for us to be devoted to one another, for us to build a great community. And it's going to take us Committing. Here's the question. Are we just going to be church attenders? How do we show up? Are we just going to be quote-unquote church members? That sounds sort of cold. Or are we really going to read the New Testament and go, you know what? We want to create that counterculture. We want to create that beloved community that will change the world. That's when you look across these walls and you see adore God. That's about this Sunday morning worship. And the second place is belong to a family. We want everybody in this church to be a part of some kind of setting. And you be as creative as you want to how you want to create that. Where they're in something that resembles the commitment and love of a family and the enthusiasm and affection of a friendship. So let me be real plain here. If you're looking for a place to be superficial and go through the motions and check the right boxes and show up when you feel like showing up, you've come to the wrong church. It's not because we're trying to be ugly here. It's because we cannot read this New Testament and see this picture of the church and think it's okay for us to walk away or even let you walk away 
and just have superficial, check the box, show it when I want to, go through the motion relationships. Now here's the exciting part. When I do what I should do, and when we do what we should do and commit our lives to each other, what will God do? Look at this verse. It's in the middle of Acts chapter 4, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. You want to see a picture of what I'm talking about today? You want to see a picture of people who obeyed Romans 12? Go to the book of Acts. And those folks were together. They fellowship with each other. In the chapter we're reading right here in Acts chapter 4, they're selling their possessions to take care of each other. It's an incredible fellowship. Now here's the cool thing. In the midst of that fellowship, God works so powerfully through his grace. Guys, listen to me. Grace is not simply about you not going to hell and going to heaven. Grace is not simply about you being saved and not lost. Grace is about God empowering us to be this community that was so incredible, we have to think of words to describe it. Our normal vocabulary can't quite cut it. And so, I was prone to say, if we do this, God will join us. But that's not right. When we begin to live this way, the truth is, we join God. God's always been about community, always about relationship. For all of eternity, God has lived in the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was a perfect community. And when God created man and woman, what God was seeking to do is God was inviting us to join him in that community. And so when we begin to be devoted to one another and to live out these principles we're talking about, I'm telling you, God is in the midst of it. And his grace will be upon us. And not just upon us, but people will be drawn My friends, what's going to make the church grow? You can read every principle you want in all these church growth books. But the bottom line is, how do we love one another? If we treat each other here the way people treat each other where you work, people will not come. If we treat each other here the way people do in our community, it will never happen. But when all the barriers come down and we love each other as Christ has loved us, I'm telling you, here's what's going to happen. People are going to be drawn to that kind of community. They're not going to need to be forced. We can't do that if we wanted to. They're going to be drawn. I think of a young man. Well, he's really a little older than a young man, but came here in the military a couple years ago. I remember him going through Landmark 101. He was so nervous. I could tell he just was very uncomfortable he, he, he went ahead and became a member, but he, he told me, I, I'm not too sure about this. I don't think this is going to work. He says in the military, he told me this one day, I have traveled around the country in the military. He's an incredible Marine. I've been a part of almost 100 churches, and I've never left feeling good about it. I've been hurt in every one. And he even joined a life group. And one night in the life group, the men and the women separated, and the men went back, and he shared with them the secret of his life. He shared with them about having a child in another state out of wedlock. 
And he said to them when he shared that, you're probably going to want to throw me out of this group when I tell you this. Because that's what he experienced. But they loved him. They took him in. They prayed for his child. They prayed for his situation. And when this young man left here about two months ago, he wrote me a letter and said, you know, buddy, I told you about those hundred churches that I've never felt good about. I finally came to church that I feel great about. And I can't thank the Landmark Church enough. Now, here's the question, guys. Will you and I be a part of creating that community? You don't have to be some superstar. You don't have to ever step on this stage to be a part of this. You just have to be proactive and loving with people. You have to open your home up and open your heart up. And be willing to give a couple hours a week to meeting with your brothers and sisters and loving on them and letting them love on you. So the question today, the bottom line today is... Can you get excited and can I get excited about with the grace and power of God, us developing a community, not of superstars, but of Shayla Gordons and Bernard Merritt's, who just as Bernard's grandson said to me, love me like no one ever loved me. Can we commit ourselves to creating that community. We're about to sing a song. There may be someone here in this audience today and you have never experienced that kind of community. And if you'll let us know, maybe we've even failed you at this point. If you will let us know, we will surround you and pray for you. But today, what I'm looking for are some of you who've just been checking the box, just coming to church, just going through the motions, And you're ready. You're more than ready. You're excited about being a part of what God has called us to. You don't want to keep being a part of a church where you just check in and check out. And you can't change me and I can't change you, but I can change myself and you can change yourself with the power of God. And today, you want the prayers of this church to get out of your comfort zone and experience something so incredible, we may not even have adequate words to describe it. With the power of God, it's possible. But what he needs is devoted people. Are you willing to be one of those people? If you'd like to indicate that, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing?